Let's pray and, and ask God's blessing on our time. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that you've blessed us with. Um, we think of this new year, a new opportunity to be used by you. But Father, we want to pause this morning in the midst of the, the busyness of w- the week and the life and, and all the things that could be a distraction and realize, God, we are sitting at the throne of grace. We are in your presence. We are in this place ready to hear from you and ready to give to you the glory, the honor, and praise as do your name. Lord, we pray that if there are things in our life that, uh, that are hindering our worship, that you would take them. If there is sin, that you would forgive it. That we would confess that sin to you. That we'd be able to come boldly before you and present our lives as a living sacrifice. That's what you want. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why are you guys sitting?
Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you so much for the gifts that you give us. We thank you so much for providing for us. We thank you so much for the fact that you love us. And God, we just ask that you would bless this offering, God, that we give back to you, Lord. For the first first fruits. God, thank you so much. Because you do provide. Everything we have is a gift and the goodness from you. So thank you. We give you this morning and praise you so much for your gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.
you so much. Lord, we want to open our hearts to you this morning, Lord. We need your truth. We need your love. God, we need you to be in this room, changing us, just people that need you. So, God, I pray for everyone in this room, Lord. You open our hearts to hear your word. You open our hearts to hear your message of truth. Thank you so much for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be starting a, a new series over the next six weeks. And the series title is, is called Truth Matters. We live in a day and age where we are bombarded with all kinds of information, aren't we? You, you can't go anywhere without getting somebody else's idea or somebody else's input. And, and some of the things, whether it's social media or friends or, or, or network TV or all of these different things. And the challenge is trying to discern what is true and what is not true. Trying to figure out what should I believe and what should I not believe. And so as I was praying is in this beginning of the new year and in light of all of this, I really want to walk through and challenge you. This morning's study is going to be a little bit difficult in a sense. It, my hope is that it will challenge your presuppositions. It will challenge where you're at. When we think about what is truth. Within that, the playwright Morris West once said, If God be God, and man a creature made in the image of God, in the divine intelligence, then his noblest function, being man, is to search for truth. If we are created in the image of God, if we are, are in that place of, of trying to understand God, then our noblest function really is to search out for truth. At one time, man was in the presence of truth. God. When God created Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were in the presence of truth within that. And they stayed in that presence of truth until the deceiver, the serpent, entered in. We read in Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, where it says, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in that day you eat of from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now within that, what we see is a deceiver coming in into the presence of perfection to those that were perfect, that, that were living in the presence of truth, living with the divine, walking with God, and bringing a deception in. And that was the first time that where these lies are, are presented to mankind. And mankind fell for it. And they gave in to the lie of Satan. They ate from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Within this, something God told them not to, because they believed a lie. And they became a conflicted sinner conflicted because now they they have to decipher what is true and what is not true and they will always be predisposed to these deceptions that will be about them for the rest of of creation as it stood in its in its fallen condition hence we are the same way we are created beings that live in a world full of deceptions aren't we and it's always a challenge. The amazing thing is this. For Adam and Eve, and even when truth being God was there in the presence, standing in front of them, 
they still were deceived because of freedom of choice. They had the capability of recognizing and saying this is a deception, but they fell for it. They gave into it. And that is the tension that we all live in as Christ followers, as the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. We have the truth dwelling within us, as we're going to unpack in a little bit. But even though we have the presence of truth dwelling in us as the Holy Spirit, we still fall to deceptions, don't we? And so within this, we, we want to understand why. I want to challenge our source of truth. And to do that, we have to understand the nature of truth. And, and I got to thinking, well, what does that really like look like, this, this idea? So then I thought, well, where was this question first asked that we know biblically? What is truth? Do you know? Can you remember? Pilate. Pilate asked the question, and in John chapter 18, verses 37-38 says this, Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, said, You say correctly that I am a king. This was the truth, right? For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, what? To testify to the truth. Everyone who is of truth Here's my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in this man. Now here we have truth on trial. Truth on trial is Jesus. Pilate said to him, you're a king. Jesus says, I am a king. And I was born into this world to present what? Truth. Truth incarnate was standing in front of Pilate, and Pilate, looking at truth, dead in the face, says, what is truth? Do you think Pilate was really looking for truth? No. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody and explain to them the truth about God's Word, and they just kind of blow you off with some sarcastic question? That's what this is. What is truth? Are you really looking for truth, Pilate? No, you're not really looking for truth. How do we know that? Because he blew right past it. Totally blew past it. And so even though Jesus declared that he was king and his purpose was to display truth, if you were really looking for truth, Pilate would have said, you were king, you're born to bring in truth? Okay, then let's talk because I want to know this truth. Pilate, no, no, not buying it. And so cynically, Pilate challenges all of these things. But man's been doing that for a long time. You think about philosophers. And, and I'm not much into philosophy, but one of the questions that people look for is, is there absolute truth? Is there absolute truth? And that's something you have to ask yourself. Do I believe that there is absolute truth? The second question you have to ask yourself is this. Do I believe that truth is knowable? Can I actually know truth? And a third question is, if there is absolute truth, and is, if truth is knowable, then what is the source of that absolute truth? I would rather walk in the truth than walk in a lie, wouldn't you? 
I would rather be able to have clear direction of truth than follow darkness of deception. As we look at our world today, can we say the world is walking in the truth? No. Is the world walking in deception? Yes, absolutely. Is truth available for the world to know? Yes. But how are they going to know it? Well, it begins with the proclaimer and, and understanding what that natural truth is. And Jesus is the one that does that. Truth incarnate challenges our presuppositions. It challenges us. Now, we think about truth, and I'm going to unpack some uh, philosophical ideals that are going to challenge you. And I want you to follow along with me. We are going to get to Scripture. Trust me, we'll get there. But I want to lay a foundation of, of why there is absolute truth and which truth is the right truth. Because we need to understand that. And I'm going to challenge you because as I describe some different sources of truth, you're going to go, I think that way. Or you might work through this and you go, I think that way. Or you might work through this and I think that way. And I want to challenge your thinking. So I know, hopefully you have your cup of coffee and you're ready to go with this. But one of the, one of the ways that man speaks of truth, he speaks to what he believes to, true, to be true because it corresponds with things in the world. In other words, I believe, it's called correspondent truth. I believe something to be true because it corresponds with everything that I know by experience, all of the things that are true in the world. So, for example, the sun will rise. That, that is a truth. We know that it's there. So, the sun, the, the, that's a truth within this. We, we, it corresponds with things that we accept as being true. When I say red, then it, something is as red as a rose, You'll say, yes, I believe that to be true because it corresponds with something that you know. That's called correspondent truth, right? So, so it corresponds with a truth that is already set and is widely accepted. You follow? So a lot of people will get their truth from what corresponds with what is naturally or widely ex accepted within this. It's true because it's what I've already accepted to be true. The problem with that is what? If my presupposition is false, and what I believe has to correspond with my presupposition, then my faith, or what I believe to be true, becomes false because I'm starting with a false presupposition. You follow? So that correspondence, truth, is, is not really going to lead me in the right direction. Another human truth, human view of truth, is called the neoclassical view. The neoclassical view of truth is a truth that's based off of science. It uses metaphysics. So in other words, if it is scientifically proven to be true, then I will believe it to be true. Is, first question is, is science perfect? No. So what happens with that presupposition? If science proves it to be true, then it must be true, right? For example, the theory of evolutionism do we have a problem there? Sure, it's a theory. And it's not proven to be true. So if we believe in scientific theories that are faulty, yet we say it's true, is our truth subject to being wrong? Absolutely it is within this. 
And so the other problem with the neoclassic view is the neoclassic view of truth is that all truth from the neoclassic position gets its truth from a created world. What's the problem with our created world? It's fallen. It is falling apart. <laughs> and so within that, there's a problem that a third view is what's called the coherent view of truth. In other words, this view of truth is a system of belief. So in other words, I believe this to be true because it seems logical, because it is a system of belief that I have already set up. So I believe this, this, I believe A, B, C, and so therefore this truth lines up with what I've already established as being believable, right? So it, it's not necessarily corresponding, but it's, it's something that I've adopted, a system that I believe to, believe, to be believably true within that. The, the, again, the problem is if your system is flawed, what happens to your truth? It's flawed. A fourth human is called the pragmatic view of truth. That's, state, that's stating basically, very, very basically, the pragmatic truth. It's true because it's provable. In other words, I will only believe in that which is true because it can be proved to be true. So if God is God, and if God is real, then let, me, let him strike me down with lightning right now. He didn't do it. Therefore, he's not provable. The idea with uh, the pragmatic view is that I'll only believe what is there. Well, the, one of the, the huge problems with that is the pragmatic view of true requires absolutely no faith. There's no faith involved with it. And without faith, it's impossible to become saved within that. A fifth view, which is something that we struggle with in our world today, is called the relativism view of true. Do you guys, are you guys familiar with the relativism view of truth? Relativism view of truth is the emotional view of truth. In other words, truth is relative to my circumstances and my feelings. I feel that it's true, therefore it must be true. And whatever you feel to be true is true for you. But your truth, because you feel it, doesn't necessarily need to be my truth. Because I don't feel it. Well, what is the hole in that theory? A lot. <laughs> there is no absolute truth, right? It, it, it is just very fluid within this. And so the result is that there is no absolute truth, that it's all relative to your circumstances or situation. And so there is nothing that's universal that we can hang our hat on. There's nothing that we can hold on to within that. And so then what ends up happening is if people follow the, the view of relativism, then everything goes, doesn't it? There's nothing absolutely true. Which leads us to understanding another truth that we're going to unpack. And that's called the ontological truth. What is ontological truth? That is truth that is found in a being that is outside of creation. Truth that is outside of all of this. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more. When God speaks of truth, He speaks of the ontological truth. And I know that's a really fancy word early on a Sunday morning. 
but it literally just means that, that it is a being that's outside of creation. Ontological truth is absolute truth because it's truth that's not based on anything that is created. It's truth that is based on an eternal. Ontological truth is truth that will always be true regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the situation, and regardless of the environment because it exists outside of the environment of creation. It's perfect truth within this. And so that's what God teaches in the Word. It's an absolute truth. And it begins with Jesus, or it begins with God, and reflected through Jesus within this. So I told you we are going to get to Scripture. Now we're going to unpack ontological truth so that you understand what is the nature of truth. What is the truth that I'm going to hang my hat on? And my hope is that as we unpack this, you're going to go, now I have something to base truth by the nature. So if you would stand as we read Psalm 43, 1 through 5. We are going to be bouncing around with some scriptures, but we're going to springboard off of Psalm 43, 1 through 5, where the psalmist writes this, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust man. Amen. For you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling places. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy and upon the lyre I shall praise you, O God, my God. Why are you in despair, O soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him the help of my countenance and my God. God, may you teach us your word and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that we start out with in the nature of truth is that truth, perfect truth, begins with God. That is the foundation of truth. In verses 1 and 2 of this psalm, the psalmist writes a lament. Why is he lamenting? He's lamenting because of the corruption of the world. Can you relate to that? Are we living in this corrupt world? He's searching for the truth and he's within this. He's crying out for God. And so in this lament, he's crying out for deliverance from the unjust one. The untruthful one. Within this, he, he's even in despair because he cries out to God in this lament. And he says, God, why have you left me? Why have you left me hanging in this, in this horrible place? Can you relate to that? We think about this and we, we get so frustrated in the world of darkness and deception and all of these things. And we say, God, why? Why will your truth not shine? Why are we in despair? Why are we struggling? And again, we think about all of that is there. Jesus stood in front of a crowd, truth incarnate, and they chose the deception over truth. Adam and Eve in the garden chose deception over truth. Choosing truth is a free choice. This morning, you have to choose what you're going to believe and who you're going to believe in. You have to choose where is the source of truth within this. The psalmist is at a place of despair where he says 
in his plea in this, he says, send your light and your truth and let them guide me. Light and truth is personified as guides in this psalm, as guides. If you've ever been in a place where, like, for example, like the ape caves where it gets really, really dark. Have you ever tried to go in the ape caves without a flashlight? Not a good idea. Now, you'll get to the end eventually, <laughs> but you'll probably stumble. It's always best to have a light in a dark place, is it not? We were just talking about going to the ape caves, and it's like I always bring two flashlights. Why? Because in, just in case the one goes out, and invariably one does, but you don't want to get stuck in the ape caves without a flashlight, just, just to know. I used to take the youth group down there, and somebody would bring like the little cheap dollar store flashlight. My flashlight went out. All right, just follow me. The idea is he's pleased and he says, send your light and your truth as guides through this darkness. First John 1 John 1.5 says this, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is what? Light. And in him there is what? No darkness at all. If you want to make it through a very darkened world, why would you trust something that is limited in its capacity? A truth that is faulty from the beginning. It's best to trust in that which is perfect and light. And, and here we find God is light. He's the only true one, the holy true light. Why is God worthy to be trusted? Because He's the holy other. God exists outside of all of creation. And there is nothing limiting Him. So to trust in anything created above the Creator is foolishness. Because the, the created is not trustworthy, but God is. Jeremiah 10.10 says, But the Lord is the true God. He's the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath and earthquakes and the nations cannot endure His indignation. Deuteronomy 4.39 Know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord... He is God in heaven above and on earth below. And there is how many? No other. Is there absolute truth? Yes. Why? Because there is only one God, an absolute God. So we start with that nature, that existence of the one and only, the holy other. Adam and Eve's failure was questioning God. Their sin was questioning God's truth. They believe Satan's lie. And it's the truth of God that guides the seeker. If you are really seeking truth, if you're really seeking what's right, what's correct, then only seek God. Don't go to Twitter or Facebook or any of these other things for your information. Go to God within this. The psalmist is saying, send light and truth to guide me. Start your day with the Word of God. Let the Word of God be your guiding light for the day. Let the Word of God guide your thoughts, your mind, your action, all of these things. And He will take you to a destination. The psalmist says, your light and your, your truth will guide me to a destination. Where does it guide you to? The psalmist says, the holy hill. So many people are trying to find peace. They're trying to find hope. They're trying to find assurance. But you're not going to find it in this world because your source of truth is not going to lead you to peace, hope, and assurance. 
Only God is going to lead you to His holy hill, His holy place within that. And the psalm says, lead me to your holy hill where, where your presence is there and as a result of being in the presence is great joy within this. And personal assurance. If you look at verses 4 and 5, after pleading in, in verse 3, he says, then I'll go to the altar and worship. And then he talks to himself. Now, this is a time when self-talk works well. So if you talk to yourself, this is okay. He says, why are you in despair, O soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Why? Hope in God, and I'll again praise Him. In other words, challenge yourself. Where is your hope? Why am I upset? Why am I depressed? Why am I frustrated? Maybe I'm believing a deception and not the truth. Maybe I'm not seeking God's light and God's truth. Why am I despair and distressed? Because I'm following a path of deception versus a truth. We need to allow God's Word to speak truth into our life. We need to speak God's Word truth into our soul. Because that's the only way you're going to get above despair, depression, and and all of these different things. Because when God's Word leads you to His holy hill, the outcome is joy within that. We need to be in that place of, of walking in the truth. In 1 John 1, 6-7, it says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie. Do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The conduct of our life. We need to walk, or, or literally conduct ourselves, in the truth of God's Word. I guarantee you, if you bury yourself in the Word of God, then your whole life is going to become more focused. Is it going to become easy? No, not necessarily. Is it going to become focused? Absolutely it will. Because there is only one source of truth, and that's God. Absolute truth begins with God. And to get to that truth, God's made it very easy. How did God make it easy? He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus, truth personified. It'd be one thing if God existed in in, in the heavenlies and there was this huge gap between God in the heavenlies and man on earth and there was no bridge to connect the two. There was no source to be able to find the truth. What What good would it do you if truth existed in the eternal but you never had access to it? Would it do you any good? No, God provided access within this. And so he sent his son Jesus in first John, or I'm sorry, in John 1:14, says this, "And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. God, who is truth, sent His Son to be the connection, the bridge to truth. Truth personified. We would never know what truth is had Jesus never come. We could know about truth, but we would never know truth personally. When Jesus states the 
words, I am, and he did throughout his ministry as you read the seven I am's in the Gospel of John, he's declaring himself to be God. He is the self-disclosed truth incarnate in God. Can I find truth apart from Jesus? The answer is what? No. You can't. It's impossible. Jesus is what's called the monogenous, only begotten, one of a kind, which means he's the absolute truth. There is no other truth outside of Jesus. And so we've got to go to him who is the one of a kind, the unique representation of truth to mankind within that. The truth that leads to the holy hill, as we read earlier. It also means that Jesus can't be compared to anything else or anyone else, which is important to understand. Because when we think about some of the ways that man de develops truth, they do it through comparison. And, the, and so they say, well, if this is true, this is true, this is true, it must be true. Well, Jesus can't be compared to anybody or anything. Just as God is the holy other, Jesus is the holy other, but he's the holy other that came down to reflect the truth of God for life that is in this. His mission, as he would say, is to bring truth to man. Now, why would it be necessary for God to build a bridge to mankind to bring his truth to mankind through Jesus? Why? Because we live in a world of deception. We live in a world that's governed by Satan, who is the deceiver. And everything that is influencing us from the world is a lie or tainted by lies. And how are you going to know what is lie apart from having truth? You, you have to be able to understand what truth is to battle against the lies of Satan. And John, as he was writing in his gospel, he was writing his gospel to combat against the lies of the Gnostics that were there, that were saying that Jesus really isn't God, the deceivers. In John 8, 44, John writes this, You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, because there is, what? No truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own, what? Nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, if we were to do a study of the nature of lies, it would be a really short study. The devil. But now I want you to think about this. Whatever you expose yourself to, as an influence from the world, the world system, or your flesh, who's behind that? The devil. And if you are believing what the world, the world system, your flesh, tells you over what God says, what are you believing? A lie. It comes down to that simple. When you've got to ask yourself, what is the source of this information that I'm getting? Well, I feel it. Okay? Do you feel it in your flesh or in your spirit? Well, I feel it in my flesh. Lie. I feel that it's good. Why? Because I want it. 
is the spirit guiding you or is your flesh? My flesh. Lie. Well, I believe it to be true. Why? Because I got it off of Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Truth or lie? Lie. Unless they're quoting the scripture as it's written. Be careful. Be very careful. Because we, we know by definition that anything of the world and of the devil is, is a lie because there's no truth in the devil. And, in, and he's the prince of the power. It goes all the way back to Genesis. How do I know something's true? Because God's truth will set you free. In John chapter 8, verses 31-32, it says this. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, and then you are truly a disciple of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Make you free. Now, what is necessary to be free? Notice the first statement. To continue in the what? Word, which is the word of truth. Within this, Jesus brings and came from the Father to bring truth. Why? Because the truth that Jesus brings sets you free. If the truth of God sets you free, then what do the lies of Satan do? Keep you in bondage. Satan's number one job is to make you a slave. Satan's number one goal is to make mankind a slave of sin, which goes all the way again back to the garden. The deception, the original deception. But if we follow in the Word of God, then you will be on a path to freedom because you're following the path of truth. Psalm 119, 105 says this, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light, what? To my path. If I continue in the word of God, I'm continuing in the path of truth. Somebody comes up to you and they says, I want to, I want you to, to call me Mr. Giraffe. But you're not a giraffe. But I identify as a giraffe. Now, here's the choice. You can say, okay, Mr. Giraffe, or you could say, that's a lie. You're not a giraffe. And you can speak the truth. My challenge, church, is this. That we become so ingrained with the Word of God and the truth of God's Word and emboldened in speaking the truth in love. What you don't say is, I'm sorry, I'm not going to call you a giraffe, you jerk. You don't do that. But speak the truth in love. Why? Because Jesus says you're the light of the world. And you're to let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they glorify your Father that's in heaven. The world is dying because they're believing deceptions. And we've got to direct them back to Jesus, which is... The path to truth, the word of truth. The purpose of a lie is to create a deception that would lead to bondage. Do you know people today that are in bondage? Bondage of sin, sorrow, shame, depression, all of these different kinds of bondages. That's it, because they're believing lies. 
Give them the truth of God's Word. Sit down and walk through with them. Say, what's going on in your life? Well, I'm really struggling with this area of my life. Okay. Then let's take a look and see what God's Word says about that. And take them to the Word of God. And this is what God's Word says about your condition. How to think about that condition. How to process that condition. Jesus came... The incarnate Word of God, the incarnate truth of God to transform lives. We were all born in sin. We were all born under the same deception. And all in the same bondage. And it's only when the truth of God comes in and transforms our lives that we're able to be set free within that. To be able to, be, to, to, to know that our lives have been changed. And it all comes with that absolute truth that comes from Jesus that guides us in our life. That guides us in our day. And it leads us to God. Jesus leads us to God. So how does that happen? Again, it's the Word of God. When we look at 1 John 5.20, it says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and He's given us, and he's given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and that we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Look at that again. Look at those words because it's important because there's a couple of words that I want to point out to you. We know, and that word is oida, and we'll get to it in a minute, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, which is a really cool word, so that we may gnosko Him, who is true. Two different words, and we'll unpack that, but we start with the fact that the Word of God and the Word of truth brings understanding to man. Within this, Jesus came to bring the presence of God, but He is also the Word incarnate. Pilate and the philosophers and men were searching for truth, and they asked the question, what is truth? But because man rejected incarnate truth, he was going to be lost in darkness within this. And so what did they do? If I reject the only source of truth, I reject Jesus, what does that leave? That leaves a void for me to try to discover truth. So if I can't accept perfect truth, what do I have to do? Create alternate versions of truth. Do you follow? 1 Corinthians 1, 20-21 says this, Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God of the world is through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The wisdom of this world is foolishness. When you reject the truth of God's word, you will pursue foolishness within that. And so instead of asking, what is the truth? What should they have been asking? What's the right question? Who is the truth? Who is the truth? And that is God. And we know this because Jesus came. Now, again, going back to our passage that I read earlier, and we know it's the word that is used there for to know is oida. That's intellectual. That, that word means that it's an intellectual understanding within this. We know that the Son has come. Historically, we know Jesus came. And that, so that 
Paul would write, so that we might, or John would write, so that we might gnosko the truth, or know by experience within that. You know what's cool about that? When you take those two words together, it connects the head to the heart. Jesus came, and we know in our head that Jesus is truth, so that we might know, gnosko, in our heart that Jesus is true. For so many people, there's a disconnect. They get it here, but they don't get it here. I call it the 18-inch rule. You know the the distance between heaven and hell? 18 inches. You can get it here, but you've got to get it here. The other interesting thing about this word understanding, the Ainoa, the Ainoia, literally means having the mental capacity to reason. That's sandwiched in between those. We have God's Word so that we would know to have the mental capacity to reason so that we will know. Do you follow? That's the Word of truth that comes that transforms the life. And what does that Word lead to? In our original psalm, he said... Let light and truth guide me to the holy hill. Jesus came to be a path to guide us to the presence of God. The word of truth leads to what? Eternal life. How does that happen? Through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 says this. But when he, and that that is the capitalized speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, but when he... The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. What is the ongoing instructor of truth? Or I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Who is the ongoing instructor in truth in the life of the believer? The Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Within the believer. How do I know I'm on the path of truth? Because I have a private guide that is guiding me through this life, the Holy Spirit, till I get to heaven within that. The Spirit of truth comes and leads the believer in all truth. In John, 1 John 4, 6, it says, We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know what? The spirit of truth from the spirit of error. Do you know there? Are, when I'm talking with another believer, I can I can know where that believer is. How? Because the Holy Spirit that dwells in me is connecting with the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. When someone is speaking, and and whether it's a pastor or somebody that's speaking, and I'm listening to them, I have the capability of knowing truth from error. How? Because the Holy Spirit that is in me is deciphering what this person's saying. And if it's connecting with the Holy Spirit that's within them. Hopefully there's been times when you've come to Bible study and you've come to, to a sermon where I'll say something and you go, Man, Carrie, that, that really spoke to my heart. You know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit in me speaking to the Holy Spirit of this in you. Guiding you in that truth within that place. It's the spirit of truth that will, that will guide and allows us to understand and to listen. Finally, what does truth do? Truth has a transforming effect. 
In John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Those that walk in the truth are going to continually be changed by the truth. So, how do I understand the nature of truth? The nature of truth begins with God. God built a bridge to man to deliver His truth first through, the, through, first through Jesus who came truth incarnate and gave us His Word. Jesus ascended into heaven and left us the Spirit of truth, sent the Spirit of truth to dwell within us so that we would know the truth. In other words, God has made a way for you to connect with absolute truth so that He would connect with you. And that was through the work of Jesus, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, so you no longer have to walk as one who is in darkness, so you'll have a personal, private guide throughout this world. Trust in the truth that Jesus brings. We're going to spend some time now just celebrating how that truth came to us through communion. To do so, Jesus gave us the bread and the cup to be able to be in a place where we would say, yes, I recognize you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I recognize the fact that you gave to us this this promise of eternal life. The amazing thing is it was a very expensive gift. Jesus had to leave heaven, come to earth, add to himself humanity, experience everything that we would go through so he would be our perfect high priest, and then die in our place to pay the penalty for our sin so that we would be able to have the gift of eternal life. And he asked one thing. Just remember me. So when we come to the table, the bread and the cup, this is a memorial reminding us of what Jesus has done so that we could have eternal life. This is a reminder of the gift that he's given to us. The bread representing Jesus' body, as we'll talk in a moment, in the, in the cup. As the ushers take the elements and they pass them out, you're free to take them as long as two things. One, you really believe Jesus has died for your sins. And that he rose again on the third day, conquering death for you. Your faith is in him as Lord and Savior. And then you can take the cup as long as you're not living in rebellion against God. It's kind of a slap in the face to say, yeah, I want to take this gift, but I really don't love you. That's, this is not a, it's not a, a ritual. It's, it's an outgrowth of relationship. It's an act of worship. So if you're not going to worship God, just let the elements go by. It's something that we do to worship Jesus and say thank you. Because he asked us to. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, I pray you move in our hearts. That we would know the truth that sets us free. That we can celebrate that truth in that. God, I would pray even now that you would work in our hearts. That we, as we take this communion, we would do so in a manner that honors you. In Jesus' name. Amen.
stand before the Lord and just take a moment and just maybe on your own silently think about this communion and what it means to you. We'll just have a moment of silence before the Lord. Jesus, you declared that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father but by you. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge the fact that you came from heaven to earth to bring truth. You also came to bring life. You brought life to those that are walking dead. We're dead in our sin. We're dead in our trespasses, our rebellion against God. We are in darkness. Lord Jesus, you came to bring light, to guide us to the holy hill, to the throne room of grace. But in order to create that path, you had to pay the penalty for our sin that separates us from God. And the night before you died, you took a piece of bread, you broke it and you gave it to your disciples. You said, as often as you eat this, remember. We want to remember how valuable this life is. Eternal life. We want to remember... How valuable the gift is of life. The very breath that we breathe is a gift from you. The very life that we have for eternity is in you. But you gave up your life for ours. You ransomed us. Lord, we thank you for this bread that we're about to receive. We do so as one body of believers. To honor you as an act of worship. We thank you for this bread and we receive it now by faith. In Jesus' name. Let's all take the bread. How precious is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness. Every drop That was shed. Valuable. To the recipient. 
to pay the penalty for our sin, to, to wash away our unrighteousness, to bring us before the throne of grace. Lord, we know that our works are like filthy rags. But because of your shed blood, we've been made white as snow. And we know this truth because you tell us this is true in your word. This cup that we hold, we do so in honor of you. We hold this cup and we say thank you. Because it reminds us that over 2,000 years ago, you shed your blood out of love for us. We receive this cup by faith. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the cup. Thank you, Lord. Our practice here at this church is to show love because we've been loved. So the ushers are going to come forward and take up what we call a benevolent offering. It's, a, it's basically a, a love offering as God puts on our heart. We do it once a month after communion. And these resources go to meet human needs through loving channels for the glory of God. God, we thank you for these resources. We thank you for, for all that you've blessed us with. Lord, may every dollar that, that's received here goes towards meeting people's needs, whatever those needs are. And Lord, help us to connect with people to know so that they will know that they're loved by you through us as conduits of blessing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
God, we want to worship You. And as we go out today, may we give people truth. May we give them Jesus. Lord, we know that this world is walking in darkness and the deception of the devil. And we, we hold the truth. We hold that light within us. May we stop hiding it. May we speak truth in love. And may we lead people through the, the, the darkness of this world because we have that light. And lead them to your holy hill, O oh God. We thank you for our time and our teaching. We thank you for your love and your mercy. And may everything that we say and do make you smile. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.